Hi everyone, my name's Tim. Today we are talking on an amazingly big topic, which is overcoming addiction. Um, we are in the middle of this Ultimate Life series, and earlier on in the series, we've already covered some amazing topics, and they include, in the week one, I talked about freedom, freedom from sin, and in week two, Julie talked about the will and the tension between God's plan for our life and the enemy's plan. In week three, Matt talked about men's emotional health, uh, sorry, Rose talked about emotional health in week three, and last week, Matt shared about men's emotional health, so it's been quite a journey. Now, um... Before I kind of go into this morning, I'd just like to quickly mention that obviously sometimes we all need help and that it's entirely okay to seek help in areas of addiction. And so I've just got up here on the slide here a few um, places which you can contact, um, you know, um, and those include things like Alcoholics Anonymous, Careline, Beyond Blue, Kids, Helpline, um, Lifeline and obviously MCC here. So um, this information I'll share again later on, but um, we've got the available um, websites and phone numbers for you to contact um, should you need some assistance and help. So um, please, if you, if you are in that area, please feel free to pause on this part of the video and come back to it if you need to. So this series, our key scripture that we've been sharing about is, and it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and that be in health just as your soul prospers. And that is the key verse that is carrying us through this entire series as we, as we kind of journey together in this ultimate life. And the, the, the part of the key of that is that our soul needs to prosper for us to be in full health. And Julie shared about the fact that our soul is our mind, our will and emotions. And so my goal for us today is exactly that, that we would prosper in all things. Secondly, that uh, we would recognize God's good intention in the um, good things which he created for us and use them according to his design and purpose. And thirdly, that for those who are bound by addiction, that you would see the truth and be set free. And lastly, for those who are on the fringe of addiction, for those who are kind of like leaning towards um, having addictive tendencies, that you would recognize it, catch it and uproot it before it takes hold. So today's message is actually not necessarily clean and neat. Um, today's is a bit messy and it will take some time to go over but you know so is addiction addiction is messy and so I would ask that you would just hang in with me there and if you need to watch this message again as we post it later on on Facebook YouTube and the socials so today I'm talking to Christians to non-Christians um, atheists you know because the, tr the truth is that Addiction can trap any of us and, you know, um, so therefore I'm talking to everyone today. So what's my big point? I actually don't have one big point, which is very rare for me. I try and keep it to one big point. Um, I've got many. Today's more a bit of a conversation. Um, so I'll be talking about what is addiction, um, my personal story, my observations and lessons learned on my journey through addiction, um, the links of progression to addiction, and then we'll be talking about repentance, breaking chains, worship, and then we'll have an application at the end. So what is addiction? So Car Dr. Caroline Leaf is, um, you know, amazing. She's got amazing insights into the mind and, and psychology. And she says that, um, you know, we can actually be addicted to almost anything. 
you know, we can be addicted to TV and things like sniffing glue and all sorts of, you know, weird things which some people might not even realise you could be addicted to. But we can be addicted to almost anything. But addiction, she says, is anything that consumes you and that you use to fulfil the inner need. So what is the inner need? Things like I need love, I need acceptance, I need validation, connection. And through that addiction, through the taking of, you know, alcohol, drugs, um, food in excess or not enough, sex, pornography, video gaming, whatever that addiction is, you're fulfilling the inner need. Um, it's characterized by a physiological symptoms upon withdrawal. So things like, you know, people are shaking or they have headaches or pain, even emotional um, symptoms when they go through withdrawal. Also, obviously, addiction is harmful to your whole being. It's, it's, it's uh, harmful to your body, your spirit and your soul. And, and really, in order for us to really be overcomers or to overcome addiction, we need to address all areas, our body, spirit and soul. So my story is that um, when I grew up, I actually grew up in a Christian home. Um, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was, I guess, seven years old. Um, I think part of that decision that I made, I certainly did believe in God, but after having made that decision, I didn't necessarily um, connect with God in a relationship way. Um, I didn't pray with him daily or, you know, um, anything like that. But it was certainly a decision I made and, a, and that that was at um, seven years old. And, you know, as I grew up, I um, actually had some, I guess, struggles in relationships with my father and brothers. I remember, you know, things like on the way home from church, we would always just be kind of like fighting in the car, yelling, you know, physically fighting as well. Um, and, you know, my older brother would tell you if he says that yeah, I'm the one who broke his nose, and that's true. And so, um, you know, with parts of what I was going through, um, part of, I guess, a little bit of my makeup is that I'm a bit of an extrovert and I'm also a people pleaser. And so with that, I guess, um, nature of who I am, um, that when I was fighting with my father and my brothers and my family members, this caused, I guess, a tension on the inside of me that I hadn't really resolved. And also additional to that, at school, I was actually a bit outcast and bullied. So subconsciously, all these things in my life sent the message to me that I was not loved. And so I actually went searching elsewhere. So I'd just like to talk to you about, I guess, the first night that um, I used marijuana as part of my story, or I consumed it, whatever you want to say, took it, um, is that I remember the experience. Um, I went to a friend's house and um, it was at night time and um, I remember I took marijuana for the first time and immediately I had like a bit of a vision, I guess you could say, of like that a devil was like sinking his claws into me and that I was actually kind of like sinking down into a dark pit. And obviously my friends at the time are, you know, laughing their heads off saying, oh, you're whacked and all those type of things. Um, but the truth is that I knew that something happened spiritually to me when I took marijuana. Um, and this is the case when we fall into addiction. So three months later, oh, and, and, and you know, the, the next morning after having taken it, I said to myself, oh, I'm never going to do that again, right? Um, but yet three months later, I was trapped not just in marijuana, but in multiple addictions. And those included things like cigarettes, gambling, drugs, alcohol, pornography. And so, you know, I would actually hide it. And the question I ask myself is, why did I keep hiding it? Why didn't I tell somebody about my addiction? 
And so in, in part of answering that is that in the cold light of day, it was actually because shame and guilt were the things which attach itself to addiction. And I had an unhealthy pride on the inside. I had an unhealthy thought in my mind which would say, people are going to look down on me, right? Especially being a Christian. People are going to look down on me. So, but this is actually fearing man above fearing God's will for you because God's will for you is that you would be set free. So I've learned that to overcome addiction, we must expose it to the light. And when we expose it to the light, we've got to recognize something, that addiction is actually a thing which we need to tell somebody about it, okay? Addiction grows in the dark, especially for Christians. Addiction grows in the dark. And the last thing I wanted to do was to come clean or to confess because guilt and shame was building up on the inside and creating an unhealthy pride. And the scripture in John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word or God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's actually like God's word guides us. And this light gives us kind of like direction. So like I said, when it comes to overcoming addiction, we need to expose it to the light. And possibly the best scripture, which kind of sums it up, um, you know, Paul's talking to Christians when he says this. He says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. In other words, if you have addictions in your life, which are the fruit of darkness, right? It's, you know, something that you need to expose. So we need to actually tell people who can help us. We need to talk to people who can help us out of this situation if we're in addiction. And this is one of the things I learned along my in my story. So continuing my story, at, at, at that stage, I guess I thought I had control over it. I would say things like, this is fine. And then after a while, I was actually dependent on it. Um, as things progressed, I didn't feel normal unless I was under the influence, okay? So it felt like an escape. But actually, I was really never satisfied. In fact, the escape was a lie. I was bound and it's like I was actually in chains. And we're going to talk about that more. So what was the turning point? The first turning point I had was a guy in our church and his name was Randy. He was American and he was a big smoker and he used to come into church and and stuff like that. And in my own, I guess, deceived way of thinking, I thought I wasn't like him because he smoked. But the reality was I was smoking and doing all those other things in the background anyway. And I remember um, one day Randy said to me outside church, he goes, you know, Tim, <laughs> you know what I've learned? I'm like, yeah, well, what, what have you learned? He goes, I've learned the truth of grace. I go, what? What are you talking about? He goes, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that it was by grace that I was saved, not through works, but it was a gift from God. And so 
when I heard him say that, something inside of me started to turn. I felt like I really wanted to receive this grace because I was in a place that was helpless and I needed a way out. And it's like there was kind of like a war going on inside of me between guilt and grace. And on one hand, I wanted to keep it a secret and I wanted to numb the pain. And on the other hand, I wanted someone to help me and I was exhausted. And so the second turning point I was a scene in my life where my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, found out that I had cigarettes in the back of my car. And when she found this out, uh, I remember um, she went inside the house. This is at her house. My car's parked out the front of her house. And she went in crying and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Entering into the house, I'm thinking of every excuse, every lie, every reason in which the cigarettes were in the back of my car. And when I got in there, before I even had a chance to say it, my girlfriend's mother actually shared with me and, she's, and she goes, hey, Tim, I know what's going on. And I was still kind of like, oh, oh, oh. but she goes, I know that you're smoking cigarettes and I know that you're smoking other things more than that. And I kind of like started to let my guard down. And she said that, hey, Tim, even though you're doing these things, I want to know that I don't banish you aside from my daughter. I still accept you as part of my family and I want to work with you through this and I want to see you healed and come back to health. Now, could you imagine if you were the parent of some girlfriend, of, of a daughter, and, and, and that boyfriend is the one who's the bad influence on... And you know what? Somehow, the words of acceptance and the words of welcoming back into the family from who is now my mother-in-law was absolutely powerful. The grace that she showed and the love that she showed me was like the image of God in heaven showing me that same thing. And so I'm living proof that grace wins. And I want to let you know that if you are in a place of addiction, that you can overcome this because I did. So it's possible. And I'm convinced in my case, if I kept going down the path that I was going, I would actually be dead today. I wouldn't be alive talking to you on this camera right now. And so, you know, I needed a saviour. And Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, at just the right time, and this is what happened for me, at just the right time, when I was powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for me. And so Jesus is a part of our answer to our addictions because just when we are absolutely powerless, Jesus is the person who actually comes and pays the price to break the chains which are holding us back. So the kindness and grace of the Father God brought me back from the depths of despair. And when I reflect back on this, what I actually needed, what we all need, is the perfect balance of grace and truth. And that's who Jesus is. Paul says, Paul, I'm oh, sorry, John says he was the one who walked and talked with Jesus. He followed Jesus. And when he reflected back on who Jesus was, he said Jesus was grace and truth. In other words, he would be able to actually call out in people and say, hey, this is the area, this is the truth, this is what's holding you back, this is the thing that's causing death in your life. And yet here is the grace, here is the forgiveness, here is the love that I will give you in order to bring you back and make you whole. And so that is part of my reflecting back that Jesus is the one, okay? So I've got a couple of um, 
visual kind of things here to talk about with part of the lessons that I learned. And I guess one of the lies I thought about was I'm in control, right? That was, that was the lie that I told myself when I was going through addiction. But the truth is it's like an unpulled weed in the garden. It's not just what you see on the surface. It's not just the top half, but it has actually got roots Okay, and so whoever's done gardening before and tried to pull weeds and you've actually just kind of pulled off the top green leaves only, that sucker comes back, doesn't it? <laughs> and so that's the truth of what it's like, addiction, okay? So the lie was I'm in control and, you know, it's like an unpulled weed in the garden, right? Over time, and this is a bigger weed picture here over here, uh, over time these things require a bit more unearthing because these roots kind of get deeper and deeper, okay? So it's best to be dealt with early addictions, okay? So continuing with this weed metaphor, um, left untouched over time, what you see is this is a weed I pulled out of the garden actually this week. And you can see here the weeds are down here and that's where the majority of, I guess, the weed grew. But this second offshoot weed kind of grew in the other direction, okay? And so we can find that a secondary offshoot issue begin, begins to grow when we let addiction stay and remain in our life over time. Okay, this is some of the lessons I've learned, all right? So the other one is, um, the fact that when we're kind of like overcoming uh, addiction, sometimes it's instant. Now, in the case for myself, several of the addictions, by the grace of God, he instantly removed from me. And they were things like the smoking and, and the marijuana and things like that. And what I mean by instantly removed from me, it's like I became allergic to cigarettes. I remember this was back in the days when, you know, you could still smoke in pubs and we went out with some friends to a uh, pub meal and I was sneezing and crying because, you know, back in those days, the cigarette level was so low when you go to a pub and I was having so much trouble with it. And, you know, I just had to get out of there because I've literally become allergic to cigarettes. And it's something which, um, you know, by the grace of God, he, um, he, took that away from me instantaneously. But also for other things, like in my case for pornography, it requires more work over a period of time. And today I'm sharing with you from the perspective of someone who has received both instant and also gradual victory from addiction over time. And so what I'd like to talk to us now about is the progression of addiction. And I wanna to talk to you about like the steps or stages of addiction. Um, and probably we've been, I've been talking about addiction for a little while now and, and um, you've probably thought of areas, as I've been thinking, you've probably thought of areas, oh, am I addicted to that thing or not? What I'm going to talk you through is kind of like the stages of thinking of um, how an addict tra transcends through each stage in the build-up to, to be actually being addicted. And we're going to use a metaphor of, of a chain, okay? So, the first one is choice, okay? We, what I found was, in, in those stages of addiction, using this chain acronym, what I found, what found was that the first thing was, it was a choice, okay? I said to myself things like, I'll only do it once, or it doesn't hurt just to look, or I'm just experimenting, 
I'm free to choose to do whatever I want. These were the, it's like a fork in the road. It's like a choice, right? And that's kind of like the first stage when it comes to addiction. The second one I found was habit. And I was saying to myself things like, I'm still in control. I can stop anytime I want. I can shake this when I want to. But at the same time, and you know, even though you're telling yourself that, the reality is that you actually don't tell your parents about it. You actually don't tell your home base about it or a friend from church and you keep it hidden, okay? So there's kind of like two parallel thoughts going on in your mind and you're starting to, um, you know, wrestle with this. Uh, now, the next thing is how long does a habit to take take to form? A habit takes 66 days to form for the average person. Some people it's only 18 days, some people it's 254. So it takes time to get into a habit, but it also takes time to apply a healthy habit. And, and the good news is that, you know, you actually can overcome addiction and that it might take some time, but you actually can overcome addiction. And Part of this is like a chemical rewiring of the brain. See, what's happened when we've got to habit stages, it's like there is a, uh, a, a something that we do, like we have coffee, it could be, and then there's like a feeling of like pleasure, and then there's like a cue, and that might be like something that triggers us to, um, you know, do that thing. And that's, um, you know, a cue, which is like something that could be like a stressful moment or even in the case of alcoholic, it could be an, a celebration moment. Um, you know, it could be all sorts of um, different cues. But what we find is that cue triggers us to do that thing again. So it's kind of like a, a habit is kind of like uh, a, a thing we do, a, a pleasure response, a feeling in our brain that says this is good and then a cue that makes us do us again. And what happens is when that cue happens, when that event happens like another celebration or another stressful moment or whatever it is then by habit we just go and do that thing again okay so the, the next thing is that it becomes automatic okay so this was my cycle when things became automatic okay my cycle was that I'd go to church on a Sunday this is my automatic Christian cycle I go to church on a Sunday I'd feel good it would start to wear off in the afternoon. I'd start to feel anxious, shame, or bored. And then I would repeat my addiction by the afternoon or evening on a Sunday. And then next week, I'd just do the same thing. So, you know, that is kind of like when it starts to become automatic. And the thing is, my, my way of thinking when I got to this automatic stage was, I started to start to think now at this point, I need to escape. I need this thing. I need this thing. I need this alcohol. I need these drugs to escape the feeling of stress or the feeling of shame or being bored. And the other thing I noticed at this stage where we get to automatic is that you're always planning for your next hit. In your mind, you're always planning for your next hit. And when it's automatic, you find yourself these kind of like habitual things like, you know, a beer in one hand, a smoke in the other. You might have heard of that saying. Um, so this is kind of like what it's like at the automatic stage. So when do habits become addictions? Over time, the simple habit of having a drink 
after work can rewire the brain, making the brain believe that the harmful substances are actually beneficial and necessary to make it through certain situations or cues. And so drugs and alcohol can cause different changes in the brain, but in general, they affect the reward circuits that tell the brain when something is pleasurable. Okay. And not only that, you'll notice when you start to get into this stage here of addiction that you don't actually enjoy playing sport anymore. That dopamine that you used to get when you used to play sport and ride your bike and do those healthy, normal things are suddenly not, you know, you, you, you'll notice you'll start dropping out of those areas. And, and I guess addictive drugs especially can release up to 10 times more dopamine than natural rewards like exercise. So the next stage is identity. This is where our, again, this is the next stage in kind of like the, the, in the chain of um, addiction, okay? So this is the way that um, when you're in the identity stage, this is the way you start to think. You start to say, I used to just do this to avoid stress or to celebrate, but now I do it all the time. You say, you know what? I am a drinker or I am a druggie or I am hooked. But not only that, something else is starting to happen inside of you and you're starting to realise, and, and this is what you're starting to tell yourself, I'm unloved. I'm unworthy. And so the character and identity of who you are is starting to change, okay? And, and the, uh, what you believe your identity is is starting to change. And then the last one, and see how we've got the chain, and this is why we've got this chain here, the, the last link is that it is part of your nature or it's normal. You start to say things like, I don't feel normal unless I'm high. And I was at that stage too. And I want to say to you, if you are at that stage of addiction where you say you don't feel normal unless you're high, I want to let you know that God can help you, that God can break the chains. And, you know, the reality is that if you're like this picture here, if your hands are all wrapped up in chains, okay, when you've got both hands tied together, you actually kind of can't get out by yourself anymore. And if you've tried yourself to get out, but you keep failing, and that's when you know that you need help, okay? And who is that person that can help you break the chains? Who is that person that's going to come in with a chain breaker and help you to break those chains. And I can say unequivocally that the answer is Jesus, okay? Here's some scriptures that I've um, come to realize are absolutely true. This is what John 8, uh, 36 says. So, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, okay? So that's so powerful because if Jesus sets you free, then you will be free indeed, okay? And Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've got to realize that we can break these addictions. We can do all things when we do it through Christ who strengthens us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, and this is Paul speaking, on an, an issue in his life that he just kept coming back. And this is what he actually asked God about. It. He said to me, my grace, God saying to Paul, and I'm saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And if we're honest with ourselves, our addiction is our area of weakness. John 8, 31 to 32. If you abide in my word, in God's word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So 
Jesus needs to bring us to this place where we are actually understanding and receiving the truth of what he says about in our lives. And this is the area. This is it, guys. At the end of the day, addictions are rooted in our wrong thinking, okay? Our wrong belief. And at the, and at the highest level possible, that wrong belief is contrary to, number one, what God says we are and we sung about this morning and who God is to us. We were singing this morning about he's our way maker. Yeah? And so when we worship, we're actually starting to um, work through these wrong beliefs, which are contrary to who God says we are and who God is to us. So I want to let you know that wrong belief is the enemy's plan. Okay? It's a tactic that the enemy whispers lies to us. John 8, 44, um, it says that he, being Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For if there is no truth in him, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. In other words, every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay? So we've got to realize that when we are listening to the voice of the enemy, that he's, the enemy is whispering lies to us. And I, when I went through those chains of addictions, that metaphor with you, I actually talked to you about a lot of the lies that he whispers to us. Now, how do we fight the enemy's lies? As Christians, we fight it because we recognize what Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians. And this is what he says is, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, an addiction is a stronghold, guys. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So everything which the enemy speaks and whispers into our life is a lie and we are demolishing that because that is against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, every lie, and we make it obedient to Christ. Now Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So in very, Jesus' very nature, that includes that he actually is truth. Every word that he speaks is truth. And so you can trust in that when you're finding your way out of addiction. I love Graham Cook's quote. He says, If your thinking has led you to a place where you are now and you don't like the place you're in now, then maybe it's time for new thinking. <laughs> so you might be asking, you know, what thoughts do I need to take captive. Tim, you're saying take captive these thoughts. So what we actually need to do is we need to identify the root. We need to ask the question, what is the root or the core belief we have accepted, which is contrary to the truth of God? And you might say, well, I don't know. And that's fair enough. So I want to kind of break it down in three um, levels or three layers. Okay. So we need to identify what the wrong belief is. And it's usually attached to a need we have an event that has happened in our life or our current state of really where we're at, okay? So level one is the inner layer, okay? So this is where we misplace our needs. So our needs for acceptance, our needs for validation, for love and identity, okay? Um, if we misplace those and we give them to someone else that's other than God, then what happens is we start to that's the first wrong belief, which is at the core of our addiction, okay? This is often triggered by things like bullying, peer pressure, and loneliness. 
Level two is the middle layer, okay? This is unhealed wounds, okay? Now, from unhealed wounds from a traumatic event in our life that we may have experienced. So it could be triggered by things like abuse, neglect, divorce, diagnosis, medical diagnosis, relationship breakdowns, loss of a child, parent, and grieving. Now, you can just see and understand that, you know, if someone goes through divorce, their feelings, their emotions, and their thoughts would be thinking very likely things like, well, why wasn't I good enough for him? Or what was, you know, why didn't she love me? And so these life events can leave us with unhealed wounds. And if we don't address the wrong belief that attaches itself to these wounds, then we can find ourselves turning towards addiction. Thirdly, the outer layer is actually the reality of our current state. Okay, so once the addiction takes hold, the wrong thinking about the actual addiction itself. Now, what I've found is that the Holy Spirit can aid you in or um, observe the identification of these misplaced needs and events and how they impact our thinking. So this actually is something where God can help us. Okay, so this... What I've got here is a table, just a couple of examples of, you know, we need to address this core belief, this wrong thinking or belief. And so what the middle column is, this is what is your image, like, let me just go through one. So what is my image of God, right? Is my image of God that I see God as my master or is my image of God that I see God as my father? Do I see my image of God as someone who is there just a punish me or do I see my image of God as someone who's there to welcome me back with grace and open arms when I you know have some stuff that I need to deal with in my life okay what is my need for approval do I strive to be accepted by others or am I resting in my father's acceptance of me and what about my self-image do I compare myself to others and then I reject myself or is my self-image that I know I am loved just as I am? So you can start to see that we need to address these core beliefs, okay? What is my source of comfort, especially for addiction? This is a big one. Do I look to counterfeit sources, addictions, busyness, compulsions, or escapism as my source of comfort? Or do I find comfort in the love and presence of my Father? So we've got to start to work through these um, wrong thinkings in our life and we need to put aside the lie that the enemy would tell us and we need to pick up and accept within our heart the truth that God would speak over our lives, okay? So when we're addressing the, mi uh, the, the mind, you've got to remember that your soul, which includes your mind, will and emotions, needs to feel worth, okay? So for everyone out there, today I want to tell you everyone watching that you are valuable you are loved by God and he cares for you and he wants to restore you he sees all of you he knows all about you and he still invites you into his family another another thing that I've learned or a lesson learned that I've got about um, renewing the mind is that we renew the mind when we really truly engage in worship okay so when we worship you've heard of that saying in spirit and in truth we renew our minds because we're engaging with our heart we're letting the spirit of god and our spirit 
combine into two things. It's not just head knowledge worship. It's actually engaging of our heart. And also, but in addition to that, we're worshiping in truth because we're, we're declaring that the, that the um, things which we're actually sharing are truth, okay? <clears throat> so worship keeps our eyes on Jesus because he is the answer to the problem. And this is a big piece of the puzzle towards overcoming addiction. So now I wanted to share with you something which I found really powerful. This is actually an author. His name is C.S. Lewis. And he talks, this is actually a fictional story that he wrote called The Screwtape's Letters. And he talks about a demon um, writing to a younger, less experienced demon, okay? And this is what he says. He says, never forget that when we demons, this is a demon speaking, never forget that when we demons are dealing with any pleasure or any good thing, in its healthy and normal, satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on God's ground. So demons realize they're dealing on God's ground. I know we have won many a soul through counterfeit, misused pleasure. All the same, it is God's invention, not ours. He has made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. And check out this. This is what a demon's saying. All we can do is to encourage humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. That's all that they can do is they can just try and encourage you to misuse the good pleasures that God's designed. So hence, we, demons, always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure, which is the way God made it, to that which is least natural, least reminiscent of its maker and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula to get the man's soul and give nothing in return. That is really what gladdens Satan's heart. And so I can say from experience that that sounds like addiction to me, okay? And, you know, it's good to... Um, to remember that the pleasure is not the problem, okay? God created pleasures for our enjoyment and it is seeking pleasure in the wrong ways from drugs, evil acts and things that oppose to God's design, affection, love and, and selflessness, that is the problem. It's when we start to get out of God's design, that's the problem, okay? So pleasure was made for us and addictions are designed to rob us of this gift, all right? So when you start to understand the truth of this, then you can start to, you know, battle this thing more. Here's another one, okay? I'm going to start to talk about two of the big ones. One of them is um, sexual immorality and addictions surrounding that, and the other is about drugs. So there, this is an observation from a minister, Kirsty Howe, right? She says, there is a bonding or a superglue that occurs when sexual intercourse takes place. It is what God intended in the intimate bondage between a husband and a wife. Sex outside of marriage, sex outside of a husband and wife, forms unholy sexual bonds, often called soul ties. This can happen even without intercourse. For example, emotional affairs, petting, pornography, masturbation, and things like this. Okay? So this minister says, when repentance takes place, we can do something about these unhealthy and demonic soul ties. Renouncing verbally in the presence of a confidential counsellor or trusted Christian can have powerful effect in the spiritual, severing these soul ties and breaking them, okay? So remorseful repentance and renunciation must be genuine 
and from the heart. And again, the Holy Spirit can help here. And, and these are the vital, vital steps for breaking the chains, okay? So you might ask at this stage, what is repentance? I've never heard of that. And so I'd like to talk to you about that. In the Bible, in Luke 15, uh, there are three parables. One of them is the lost sheep, where it's a story where there's a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off and the shepherd leaves the 99 behind to go back and rescue the one sheep and puts him on his shoulder and brings it back into the family. The second one is the lost coin where someone loses a precious coin in the house and they sweep and clean and clean and clean until they find it. And then when they find it, they celebrate. The last one is the lost son or the prodigal son, which is a story of... Um, essentially a son who decides he's going to receive his inheritance now and spends it all on wild living. And then he um, comes to a place where, um, you know, he's down in the dirt and eating, um, you know, food in the mud with the pigs. And he realizes that I want to come back to my father. And the father's there with his arms open wide, waiting, ready to accept him in. And he celebrates and puts a robe back on him and says, everyone, let's have a party because my son, who was once lost, is now found. And those are powerful parables I'd like for you to read about. But what do these all these parables have in common? They have in common God's reach, God's grace, restoration into the family. And here's what they all say, things like this. There is rejoicing in heaven, slash, in the presence of angels, of God over one sinner who repents. So repentance is a massive part of it, okay? Now, what is repentance? Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. It's not just admitting that you actually did something wrong. Confession is often confused with repentance because, you know, we start to share all the gory details of it, right? But neither of these things actually address what happened. And repentance is recognizing that you actually have a problem recognizing it's cost me trust, it's cost me relationships, love, but I'd seem to do it anyway. So step one of repentance is actually recognizing that you have a problem. It's saying, I need help. I've got a problem. I need help doing something about it and I need help walking it out. Step two of repentance is a shift in your will, okay? Being willing to walk with someone Stay accountable in order to produce the new. Being willing to be disciplined or led in a brand new way of choosing, seeing and believing. Repentance is willing to identify the problem and walking in the other direction. And repentance has everything to do with change. So now I'd like to talk about another spiritual observation and that's around drugs, okay? <laughs> so what I've observed is that and I talked about this in my, in my testimony at the start, is that with drug addictions, this is an invitation of the demonic, okay? In Luke 11, 24 to 25, Jesus shares a parable of the empty house. And he says this, he says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he roams through the waterless places in search of rest. And finding none, he says, I'll return to my house, which I left. And when he has come to it, he finds the place swept and clean. And then he goes and takes seven other spirits more evil than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So the fact that the house or the image for the soul is empty is the chief problem. Empty things need filling. 
And sadly, if good things do not fill empty spaces, then evil things will. And this seems to be the heart of what God's actually warning us about in this scripture in Luke. So what's required is replacing. Replacing the evil with the dedicated... (coughs) It's replacing... um, evil with the dedicated filling of the Spirit of God. So where we've spent time and energy and our resources in things that are really self-destructive to ourselves, we need to be replaced with things of God through prayer, worship, Bible study, fellowship with other believers, water baptism. This is how we get filled with the Spirit, okay? The second thing we talked about is renouncing, okay? So you might ask, what is renouncing? This is kind of like a specific type of prayer. So when we renounce, we actually formally declare one's abandonment of to refuse to continue to recognize or abide by. So we are renouncing that thing which we've accepted when we've gone into our state of addiction okay we're renouncing we're dealing with the spiritual side of addiction and the false belief so when we renounce we spiritually break the ties or chains so here's a couple of quick tips for repentance and renouncing do this with an experienced christian someone who's able to discern and journey along with you along the process If you don't have someone, I'm going to ask you right now to please message us on Facebook. Send a private message to Manningham Christian Centre or send an email to office at manninghamcc.org and we'll be able to help partner you with someone who can help you. So another couple of tips for recovering from addiction. Avoid instant gratification. Don't give up after you get a small win. You know, we love a small win, right? But when we're building new habits, we need to stay the course, okay? Um, have hope, okay? We need hope when we're battling addiction, when we're recovering from addiction, okay? There's an experiment that a scientist did and he put rats in a bucket of water and basically let them try and work their way out until they drowned and that took 15 minutes. And then after that, in the second round of the experiment, he took the, the rats out just before the 15 minute time frame, gave them like a minute's rest and then put them back in. And, and see how extra they last for. They lasted for two days longer. Two days longer. When we have hope, when we can see the end, hope is something that allows us to keep on pressing in. And so I want to fill you with hope today, okay? Some ways to um, help increase your levels of hope are through testimonies, hearing stories of other people who have overcome and also through prophetic word or God's word into your future. Uh, I touched on the point that addiction impacts our whole being, which is our body, spirit, and soul, okay? So I've found that addictions are strong and they're hard to break because they impact our whole being. So if you like or if you want, this week I will share more on this. If you send us a message, if you would like to hear more, I actually prepared a lot more content on addressing the body, spirit, and soul. Um, so send us a message and we'll, we'll upload some more videos during the week if, if that's something that you would like. Okay, I've been talking about a lot of stuff, but you might have had this question in the back of your mind. Is it possible to find freedom from addiction? My answer is yes. It is possible to find freedom from addiction. I can tell you that it's possible. It's not always easy, but it can be done. And I'm a living proof that it can be done, okay? So now we're going to chat about our application. And if the music team guys want to get ready... 
So with our application, first, I want you to find the right person to walk this through with, okay? I want you to talk to a counsellor or a trusted Christian or a family member who's equipped to guide you through this, okay? But these are, this is what I want you to apply. We've been talking about it as of, uh, throughout the week. I want you to reveal it. Don't hide it. it. No secrets. I want you to expose it to the light and let God work on it. Secondly, I want you to recognize it. Identify the false belief. This is what you're going to need to do with someone else as well. Identify the false belief. Identify the enemy's lie and what is God's truth. Thirdly, I want you to repent. I want you to identify the problem. Take a U-turn in your direction. Plan to work through the mess. Be willing to walk with someone. Number four, I want you to renounce it. I want you to have someone spiritually break these chains and these soul ties. You need a chain breaker. And fifth, replace it. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And one of those ways is to worship. So my goal for you today was that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, I'm no expert, but today I've shared what I've learned about addiction over my lifetime. And it's my prayer that you would be free from all forms of addiction. Now, we're going to have Anna lead us very soon in a song called Oh Holy Night. And this is, as you know, a Christian carol, Christmas carol. And as we sing this song, I want you to really engage. I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. Okay? It might be August, you know, but this song may be a Christmas carol, but it's a worship song. Okay? And as you worship, I want you to listen to the interplay between our place before Jesus came and our place after Jesus came into our lives. I truly believe that this describes the great gift we received thanks to Jesus who came to earth to save us and restore us and fulfill all of our needs. Will you take this opportunity to receive Jesus as he came into the world as you sing? So in this song, Oh Holy Night, here's some of the lyrics. I just want to let you know what you're singing about, okay? It says, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Saviour's birth. It's talking about the night of 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. It says, Long lay the world, long long were you and I, in sin and error pining. That pining word's an old word. It means to suffer a mental or physical decline, especially because of a broken heart. And if you feel like because of addiction, you've got this broken heart and that you feel like your soul does not have any worth, then I'm going to say that Jesus came and he appeared and he is giving you worth. And, you know, that gives us like a thrill of hope. And even though we were weary, we can rejoice and be grateful and thankful because for yonder breaks or for those people who are weary, for those people breaks a new and glorious morn. In other words, a new day is here. Jesus is here for you. 
And our response when we worship is that we're going to fall on our knees and hear, listen in the Spirit for the angels' voices because that night when Christ was born was so precious, was when everything changed for people who were bound by addictions. Look at the next verse. The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all our trials. In every trial that we go through, Jesus was born. He came into this world to be your friend and walk with you through it. He knows everything you need. And your weakness, the thing you struggle with and go back to again and again and again, He's not a stranger to it. So our response is to say, before Him, we lowly bend or we are on our knees, thankfully, and behold, on that morning, your King came in to the earth. So truly He taught us to love one another. His law is love and His gospel is peace. Chains shall He break. Who needs chains broken in their life? I would love for you to worship with us. For the slave is our brother and in His name, all oppression, all oppression shall stop. So our response is to sing hymns and songs in grateful chorus. We're going to raise them this worship up to God and with all that is within us, we're going to praise His holy name. So I'm going to give it over to Anna right now. And please, with all your heart, join us in worship now. <laughs> 